Hey, good morning, Grace Church. Give it up for Jesus. Amen. So good to be here to be able to worship with you all this morning. And what a beautiful dedication of all those beautiful, beautiful children. So praise God. So parents, just continue to receive the grace of God on your lives to train up those precious children in the way they should go. Amen. Well, I'm excited to get right into God's Word this morning to continue on this series entitled 116 Hours. And so uh, I'm not going to take that many hours this morning, but I will take a few. So we're going to get right into the Word of God. If you are following along in your Bible, if you're going to follow along on the screen or whatever device you may have with you, we're going to be primarily looking at uh, John chapter 17. It's a recording of what's known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. And in that particular chapter, in the first uh, verses 1 through 8, we have a, a recording of Jesus when he's praying for himself. And then he transitions into praying for his disciples, verse 9 through 19. And then verse 20 through 24, he then prays for all who will believe. And so we're going to primarily be focusing on verses 20 through 24, but I just wanted to just let you know that the highlight of, those, of the beginning prayer, and it's also good for us to remember that when we go to the Father in prayer, you don't always have to go to the Father just for other people. It's good to go and pray for yourself, that you be built up, that you be edified, and that, that, that uh, you are lifting him up, and that you are listening to what he has to say so that you have the ability to live it out. So I just want to, uh, those three phrases there, I want you to just kind of jot those down or just to continue to think about them because I'm going to repeat them. But, you know, we come together here at Grace Church, we come together primarily on, on a Sunday morning, and that is to lift him up, to glorify God, to worship him, to, to, to spend some time praising him, then, then to lift him up, then also to listen up to hear what the, the word of the Lord is for the hour uh, here as we're gathered together corporately, but also listening, learning to listen to the voice uh, of the Spirit of God as we are going through those 116 waking hours of our week. And then not only to lift him up and then to be listening, but after we are lifting him and then we are listening to him, that we are to live it out. Everyone say to live it out. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, to live it out. And everyone here is qualified. I don't want anyone to think, well, gee, I'm not sure I'm qualified to live it out. I'm not sure I'm qualified to be a, to be a witness for Jesus. But uh, let me make the bar just as low as I think I can make it for you. Not that you need it this low, but here's where Jesus put the bar for us all, all right? There's a story in the Gospels where there was a madman at Kadir, and he was a demon-possessed. They couldn't tame him. They couldn't hold him with chains. He would break the chains, and everyone was afraid of him, and et cetera, et cetera. Jesus appeared, cast the demons out of him, and then, then he, they, they discovered this man that Jesus cast the demons out, clothed and in his right mind. And then when uh, Jesus was going to depart... From that region, the man begged Jesus to go with him. Jesus said, nope, you're not going with me. I want you, you who have just been delivered from the legion of demons, I want you to go back to your home, back to your house, and tell all the good things that I have done for you. And he went to his home and to the whole community and told them what great things the Lord had done. This very same people that a few verses earlier were begging Jesus to leave them alone, to leave them alone. And we often do the same thing. You know, Jesus, we want you to leave us alone. You know, you know uh, 
we want you to meet our need, but we want you to save our pigs. You know, we don't want our swine all to go into the lake. We want our pigs, but, you know, but, but leave us alone. Now they are eager to hear the good news of the gospel. And so everyone is eager to hear the good news of the gospel when it's presented in an anointed way, in a, in a vital, in a living way, in a current testimony of what God has done. And, and so we want to keep it alive. And, and Jesus' prayer is along those same lines, and it's for you and I today. I find it interesting Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for the disciples that he was working with, and then he transitioned into praying for those who would yet come to believe. And so let's focus on that. And so let's pick up the prayer. I'm, I'm going to pick it up at verse, verse 9 when he starts praying for the disciples. He says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scripture foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have, I have given them your word, and the world hates then because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, your truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice to for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I find it interesting that Jesus prayed for those that are in the world would, be, would not be taken out of the world, but that we would remain in the world so that the world would know. So that the world would know. So we are here. Yes, we accepted Christ as our Savior. We have become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we're still on planet Earth. We're still in uh, enemy territory. But while we are here, he is with us, and he is, uh, his grace is uh, for us, abiding within us and working through us. Now, the transition takes place here in verse 20. Jesus continues, he's praying to the Father. I don't know about you, but I personally believe that Jesus had a unique ability to get his prayers answered. Anyone have a problem with that? Uh, you think Jesus, you think God the Father heard Jesus' prayer and answered his prayer? I believe that he did. He says, I'm praying not only for these, the current disciples, those that are more believers at that time, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. Pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe. Everyone say believe. Now, who's believing? Who's Jesus praying that would believe? That the world would believe. Those that have not yet come into a covenant relationship with God. Praying that they would believe that you sent me. Verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me. 
so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. I'm going to say perfect unity. That the world will, what? That the world will know that you sent me and that you what? Love them. To know and to love. Let's just pause there for a moment. Verse 23. Just keep looking at it and keep, you know, just hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. Isn't that powerful? But it becomes, to me, it even becomes more powerful. And I really have a hard time wrapping my mind around this when it comes to me personally. That you love them. How much? How much? What's Jesus praying? That the world would know that you love them. How much? I'm asking you a question. The answer is on the screen. <laughs> this, is, this is not difficult. <laughs> that you love them as much. Everyone say, as much as you love me. Say it. Just let that marinate for a few moments. What does John 3.16 teach us? God so loved the world. Jesus prayed that the world would know, that we would know, that all people would come to know that you love them as much, as much, not sort of like, not a little bit. You love me unequivocally, but the world, well... I'm trying to walk in love towards them. I'm trying to love them, but they don't really deserve it. That was Jesus' prayer. That we who have come to know Jesus in all of our waking hours, as we're going about our days, whether we're in school, our homes, our communities, our places of employment, wherever we may be, wherever God has you at this particular season of your life, during your waking hours, that we are walking in unity among the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are walking in such a unity that the world would know, that the world would know you are a living epistle, whether you know it or not. People are watching our lives. And sometimes more is, more is caught by what is taught when people are watching us. And so, I'm in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know. Now, I want you to bring up on the screen, you have the, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10 from the Passion Translation, the Apostle Paul in writing to the church at Corinth. It says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and to put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body, living in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. Forming a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective 
with shared values. It's Jesus' prayer. It's Paul's admonition to the church at Corinth. It's, it's vital for us today when we're talking about being a witness about, about our waking hours that we need to focus on all the things that we've heard over the last several weeks, but never, ever forget the importance of our testimony of living together in, in, in perfect harmony. And that, that as a result of that, the world may come to believe and the world will come to know. And what are they to believe and to know? That God sent Jesus and that God loves them. God loves them. God loves us as much as he loves Jesus, as much. From the time of Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden of Eden, really almost, I would say, to the beginning of Christ's ministry here on the earth, uh, few people thought of God or few people knew God as loving and compassionate. My own personal experience in growing up in a Christian environment, in a very, I don't want to be negative towards anything, but it was just, it was, it was a, it had a lot of legalism to it, a lot of, a lot of fear motivation. But uh, I never really knew God as being loving and compassionate. And I've, from the time of Adam and Eve's expulsion until the manifestation of Jesus who came to represent God, he was primarily perceived as holy. He was perceived as a righteous God. He was perceived as an all-powerful God, which he is holy. He is righteous, and he is all-powerful. But how... Here's the mindset was, how could I, a sinful person, conceive of God's love, especially God's love for us, God's love for me personally and then corporately together? And even in the hour that we're living in now, many people's perception of God is distorted because it's primarily based on what's been passed on to them down through the generations. They never really made it a purpose to get to know God uh, through Jesus Christ, who has come to, as an exact representation of God. They just accepted what's been passed down. Some of that may be good. Some of it may not be good. Some is right. Some is not right. But that's the extent of it, and that's their perception of God. Other people have their perception of God based on nature. Well, if you're in a very scenic place and a very scenic environment, you can look around and be inspired and think, wow, God is awesome. This is beautiful. Look at the majesty of these mountains. Look at that wonderful sunrise and that beautiful sunset. God is absolutely gorgeous. But if you just experienced a tsunami and most of your family died in it, that's nature, is it not? Come on. And so things get distorted when we look other places other than Jesus. When we look places other than Jesus, it becomes distorted. It can be good and it can not be not good. And other people base their perception on God based on what's going on in their personal lives or what's going on in world events. Again, that can be a positive or a negative. 
if all is going well, just life is just clicking on every, just every uh, mechanical term here, every cylinder, everything's just firing just perfectly, then you say, yeah, well, God's a good God. Everybody's healthy. Everyone's experienced peace and joy. There's no financial crisis. There's no relational crisis. And God is a good God. But what if you're not in that environment? What if things aren't clicking for you? And what if relationships aren't good and, they're, they're, and, and you have to work really hard at relationships, or et cetera, et cetera? One of the things that, uh, that I, I cringed at over the years is when I hear people trying to, trying to communicate, one person is communicating to another person, trying to communicate the character of God, and they say, he, he, he's, he's a loving father. He's just like your father. Your father loves you. Well, that's true for the person that's communicating that obviously had a loving relationship with their father or they wouldn't be saying, they wouldn't be using that analogy. But I know far too many people that did not have good relationships with their earthly father. So an, an analogy of our heavenly father being like a loving earthly father, it doesn't work. It can be positive or it can be negative. But we do have a source we can go to. His name is Jesus. Nature, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but we have a consistent source. His name is Jesus. Yes, we've been taught what we've been taught down through the generations, but that, again, that may be positive or it may be negative, but we have Jesus. And scriptures reveal to us who, he, who God really is through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's good for us to recognize that God is not as we imagine him to be. I want to just spend some time on this and that God is love because we're talking about our 116 hours of, of awake time and being a witness to those who have not yet come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So God is not as I imagine him to be, nor is he as you imagine him to be. He may be some of that, but probably not all of that. But the good news is, is God is who he has revealed himself to be. That's it. God is who he has revealed himself to be. And the greatest demonstration of who he has revealed himself to be is found in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us, uh, there's various translations of it, but the one that I like, I think, is from the New American Standard. It says Hebrews 1 and verse 3 says, Jesus is the, the exact representation of God the Father. The exact representation of God the Father. It's Jesus. And we say it's Jesus. So that's who God is, and we, we discover who God is through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus in conversation with Philip, they were dialoguing back and forth, and Jesus said to Philip, uh, he who has seen me, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You're seeing me, you're seeing God. Ultimately, the only safe ground for you and I for believing and asserting that God is love is in his self-revelation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So always keep that in mind, that it's Jesus that came to represent God exactly as he is, exactly as he is.
The evangelist Billy Graham, most of you probably heard that name. He's been a very popular evangelist all over the world and, and uh, passed away a few years ago. But uh, he responded, I read a, a response that he said that many people would ask him the question, well, what is God like? What do you say when people ask you who's God's like? And his, his personal response was that he said that he preferred uh, Luke chapter 15, and that's where Jesus put together three parables. It was the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and when the coin was found, there was great rejoicing in heaven. When the lost sheep was found, there was great rejoicing in heaven. And the third parable is the parable that's known as the parable of the prodigal son. That's the son that had gone awry, and then when he came back to the father, that which was lost has been found. And he said to him, that has, in his opinion, that is the best description of God the Father, because that particular parable, Jesus is revealing what the Father is like. And he revealed in that particular parable that, that, that the father is compassionate. He is compassionate, and it's a great description of the father because the son came back after all that sin and, and unrighteous living. He came back, and the father ran to him and embraced him and kissed him with a heart of compassion. There was no cynicism of, I knew you'd come to your senses. I knew you'd wake up one day, and you just all out, just almost pretended like it, it never happened. Just restored him back to full sonship. No guilt, no condemnation, no lecture one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, we're going to put you back in the family, but we're going to, you know, we're going to put you on parole. We're going to keep an eye on you. The servant, the son was fine with that. He was asking, just make me a servant. I'll be happy to be a servant. But the father, almost like you didn't even hear him, he said, let's throw a party, let's celebrate. So, so uh, like I said, Billy Graham said that to him, that was really revealed the heart of the father towards his children. He is compassionate. The, uh, he, he was revealed as compassionate and, and granting forgiveness when condemnation was justified. I want you to hear that. Condemnation was justified, and the only person qualified to pronounce judgment chose not to, but to forgive and to restore. There's other examples in the, in the Gospels very similar to that. But remember, John 3, 16, God so loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him would not perish, have everlasting life. And put the next verse up, because a lot of people have this memorized, but they stop short of verse 17. God sent his son into the world to condemn the world because they all went astray. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that, does it? It says that God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Not to condemn, but to save. Let's say that with me. Not to condemn, but to save. Say it again like you mean it. Not to condemn, but to save. All right, so God is a, a loving and a compassionate Father. Yes, he is holy. He is righteous. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is all of those things, but we also need to remember that he is compassionate, and he is gracious, and he is loving, and he is forgiving, and that is the, that is the, the call that brings people into salvation. 
In my opinion, since I gave you Billy Graham, it would only be right if I gave you my opinion or the best synopsis of the gospel. Say, well, Pastor Ray, I didn't ask for that. I know you didn't, but I'm, I'm here, so I'm going to give it to you. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, uh, verses 1 through 10. I just want to share it with you briefly, give you a quick outline of it. But I just believe that uh, the transformation that takes place in these verses, you know, uh, the transformations from verse 1 through 3 uh, to verse 4 through 10, that if we experience this, if we really experience this grace that brings us into this union, one with Christ, which is what Jesus prayed. Remember his high priestly prayer? We open up with it in, John, in the Gospel of John chapter 17. He prayed that we'd all uh, be one together with him and with one another. When this is experienced, it brings us into a union, into a relationship with God the Father, and His grace becomes a powerful reality within us. It's not just a biblical term that we talk about. It's not the title of a song that we like to sing, uh, it, it, it's, and it's not just the word that we're familiar with, but it is a reality, a powerful reality within us. His grace, his saving grace, and his amazing grace that empowers us as covenant children of God, and it's what empowers us with the ability to respond to Jesus' high priestly prayer that we come together as one. Even as Jesus and the Father are one, he prayed that we would be one like that. That's our example. And, and then the world will know that God sent Jesus and that the world will know that God loves them as much as he loves Jesus. Do you ever feel like it's unfair when you see someone that's living what we would consider, we would classify it as living a heathen lifestyle, and when it rains on you, it rains on them. The sun shines on you, it shines on them. You know, God's not distinguishing who's he going to send the rain out on. God's just going to send the rain out. And then we are to pray for those, and we are, to even not, we are to bless one another, and we're to pray for one another, but we're also to pray for our enemies. We're to bless those who despise us and to curse us. We're to do good to those who do evil toward us. That's the Father. And so from the Father's perspective, when he looks at my life or when he's looking at your life, can he tell the difference of who is your loved one and who is your enemy? Can I tell the difference when I look at your life, who you love and who you not so much love? That didn't sound right, but it <laughs> sounded Dutchy, but that's good. <laughs> if you're not Dutch, you're not much. <laughs> when the Father looks at my life, can he tell who I love dearly, who my family and friends are, and those who I don't love so dearly? There shouldn't be any difference. Bless those who despise us. Bless those who curse us. Do good to those who do wrong to you. 
Just something to think about when you have those 116 hours. You need something to do on 116 hours. Think about the goodness of God's love. So we are, as covenant children of God, as God's children, we are to come together to continue to lift him up in worship. We are to continue to listen up, to hear his voice, to hear his commands. And we are to live it out. So I wanted to encourage you as much as encourage myself. Let's always purpose to remember to love as God loved. And always remember for yourself as much as for those that you are witnessing to that God loves you and God loves them as much as he loves Jesus. He is not thinking ill of you this morning. He loves you. He so loved you that he sent his son, Jesus. Again, my formative Christian years, I had God as a good cop and Jesus, uh, God as a bad cop and Jesus was a good cop. And thank God for Jesus, right? Be toast. But then one day it dawned on me that John 3, 16 said that sending Jesus, the good cop, was God's idea because he loved me. So God is love. And that is revealed through the life and ministry of Jesus par excellence. Look to Jesus. Thank God if you can look to godly examples. You can look to godly parents. You can look to godly spiritual leaders. You can look to godly friends. That's all positive. That is enriching and that's enforcing and it's empowering. But ultimately, make sure that your foundation is on Jesus Christ and him alone. That is the sure guarantee of the love of God. Yes, the great commission that, that you've been hearing about over the last several weeks, the importance of, of, of going out and sharing the good news of the gospel, the great commission for us as a church is to go to all the world and to tell the good news to everyone. And churches have been proclaiming that and preaching that, and then that's all wonderful, but here's what I want you to remember. Before the great commission... There was a great commandment. And too many times we get caught up in doing and working the great commission, but we're not secure in the great commandment. And the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let the love of God rule and reign over your heart and mind. God loves you this morning, Grace Church. Those of you that are watching online, wherever you may be watching from, God loves you right there in your sanctuary where you are this very moment. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God so loved the whole world. That's why he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' prayer in John 17, it's basically to summarize it like this, especially when he's praying for his disciples. He said, Father, those that are taken out of this world would remain in the world so that the world may know that you love them. So the Father's desire, I'm going to close with this statement. Pastor Werner, if you'll come up then and close this out. The Father's desire for us today and for Grace Church today and going forward forever and ever is that uh, his desire for us today is that though we are different than the world, that we would never, ever be isolated. Keep reaching out. God loves you as much as he loved Jesus.
God bless you.